Today's scripture is Acts 9, 32 through 43. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling all the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning again, guys. Uh, my name is Sean. Uh, I am the lead pastor, teaching pastor here for Redemption Peoria. Uh, let's get this out now, because whenever you go hit this passage, you always have to bring this up. Uh, Candace and I have kind of a deal with our kids that if we were to have a boy, she would name the first, she would give him his first name, I would give him his middle name, right? And if we were to have a girl, I would give her the first name, and she would give the middle name. And when Eve, we knew that Eve was being born, she's our third child, um, and I was starting to think what I wanted to name her. Nowhere on the list ever was Dorcas, ever. Not one, didn't make the top hundred, didn't even make the top thousand. Uh, but here we are introduced to someone named Dorcas. And it's just worth pointing out that there's someone named Dorcas out there. Um, at least we'll spend eternity with her. Uh, <laughs> well, okay, so here we are in the passage, um, uh, Acts 9. Let me catch us up very quickly, and I'm going to jump right in. Because uh, some things that we have to do is going to be a little more heady today, and I'm excited to do that, but that requires great explanation. Um, if you're not familiar with what we've been doing in, in Acts, it's, it's kind of been this journey of the church, not kind of been, it has been this journey of the church, and um, predominantly focusing in on a guy named Peter. Now, uh, it's following the, all the apostles, but really focusing in on, on Peter, takes a break, and the camera pans to a guy named Stephen for a little bit, and then goes back uh, uh, to Peter, and then it, it goes to a guy named Paul in, in Acts 9, and we, we, or Acts 8 and 9, and we read about uh, a lot of that last week, and now the story is going to go back to Peter, and that's what we're reading uh, here again. And I said last week that the journey that we see in Acts about 8 or 9 to about 13 is a big one, because what's happening in the early part of the church is the church is going from uh, Peter and the, the 
the apostles here and and Jews to ultimately Paul and Gentiles. And that's a big change that we're going to see. And next week is a huge uh, exchange of hands from Jew to Gentile uh, in the passage that we have. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read our passage and I'm going to do exactly like I did last week. I want us to read it, just kind of go at it very quickly and then ask the big why question. Why is this here? And the why question is far more important than even last week in asking it. Okay, so if you're new, we're going to do a big Bible study together. I love doing it like that. Here we go. Verse 32. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in uh, Lydia. Uh, Lydia. It's a a hard D. Anyway, um, what we find is after the the, the whole Paul encounter with Jesus, him getting knocked off his horse on the ground, him being blind, finding his uh, way into the church, the disciples are not really knowing what to do. We have this last statement in our passage last week, and it was, and there was peace throughout the church, and it multiplied. Okay? And if you can, and this doesn't work, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of apples and oranges a little bit, but it, it's, it, it works in some ways. If you can think of, as up to this point, Paul being the antagonist of the story and Peter being the protagonist. And now that the antagonist is out of the way, Peter's kind of able to move freely, right? It doesn't work exactly, but that's kind of uh, what we see in, in, in the Acts account. So verse 32, we see Peter going from here to there, able to visit these churches. He wouldn't have otherwise been able to do it because um, he would have been executed. Verse 33, and then he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydia uh, and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Okay, so simple account. Peter, in this city, sees this paralyzed man, no longer paralyzed. Heals him in the name of Jesus Christ. Simple account, okay? We're going to come back to it, but there's exactly what happened. Okay. While he's standing there, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She uh, was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room. Uh, I, I have to say this just because it might be a little weird if you're following this very meticulously. There's a lot of questions I've actually had when I've taught through Acts with other people. They wonder what that means they washed her. And maybe you're not wondering that at all, but I think it's worth explaining because usually it gets mixed in with like baptism of the dead, with Mormonism and stuff. Honestly, it's no different what's being uh, accounted here as what we would know as preparing someone else for burial. A guy named John Gill, he was in the 17th century. I think he comments on this really well. And again, I, I just think it's important to say here so we know there is a difference. The usual method was to wash the body with hot water in which uh, they put dried roses and uh, 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 chamomile flowers. Likewise, they take an egg and beat it up in wine, and there with it anoint the head. And this washing and anointing are done by some at the house before the corpse is carried out. So in the same way we would put makeup on a dead body and then get it ready for maybe an open casket or whatever it is. This is all that's going on, and this is where Tabitha is. Tabitha's in this place. She's so dead that she's getting ready for her funeral, or they're getting ready for her, you know, for her funeral. Verse 38, uh, since Lydia was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the windows or all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was still with them. Verse 40, but Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Verse 41, and he gave gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. 
And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. So here's the story. After, as he's still uh, dealing with one man who is paralyzed, immediately interrupted, he's called to go to see Tabitha, who is now dead, so dead that she's on her way in the ground almost. I mean, I know that sounds a little morbid, but she's that dead. And as he's called, he sees her, moves everyone outside of the room, uh, prays for her, says, Tabitha, kume, Tabitha, arise. She rises from the dead in this moment. She gets up, everyone's amazed, and people come to the Lord. And then at the very end, you see this, um, and I think it's worth pointing out for our passage next week, verse 43. And so Peter stays in that place for a while with a, with a tanner, this, this tanner, Simon the tanner. And that's important because next week we're going to find out this whole change of hand with the Gentiles. And if you don't know what a tanner is, it's someone who once an animal is essentially de-rugged, that sounds really awful, but uh, removed, you have bear rugs or cowhide or whatever it is. Tanners are the ones who make them blankets or rugs or whatever it is. And so Peter saying with someone like that is quite unusual, but that's a wink wink for us for next week. So here's our account. Okay. Let's just stop real quick and, and take a breath for a second. There's our account. We have this story of this guy, Peter, We've seen many times up to this point in the book of Acts. He heals one man who's paralyzed and he raises another woman from the dead. Now, what I want to do in this is ask, what does this have to do with anything? Because here's the reality. I would argue that there are a lot of things Luke could have written down. I don't think this is the any time, the time, you know, something like this happened. As a matter of fact, if you read your Bible often enough, specifically in the gospels, this is kind of a normal thing. So why would Luke choose to put this account in here and all that Peter is doing and all that the Holy Spirit is doing at this time, why this account? Uh, I want to read something to you from a guy named Michael Morrison. He's, he heads over uh, Grace Communion International. This is what it says. Luke, in addition to being a historian, is also a Christian teacher writing about his own faith. In the introduction of his first volume of history, he says that the one, that is one that his one purpose is to help readers understand the truthfulness of the Christian faith. Similarly, Luke has selected events in church history, the book of Acts that we have right now, that help show Christian doctrine and practice. What Luke writes is true. It is historically accurate, but it is also theologically selective. Why would Luke give us this account? Why maybe you like me, did I read this story and go, that's kind of cool, I guess. What's happening here? Now, now, for us to do that, we've got to put the theology thinking caps on. And, and um, I'm going to have us go back and forth to some verses. Uh, and we're going to turn in our Bibles. You cheaters can look at the screen if it's there. But if you have your Bible, uh, I'm going to ask you to turn to a couple different places. Because I think what's happening is so awesome. So much so that I struggled with um, explaining it the way that I am. But I think it's worth explaining what's going on here. It's really, really cool. And it all boils down to this. Three weeks ago, uh, maybe four weeks ago, my, my math might be off here, 2.2 billion people. 2.2 billion people on this earth cram themselves into churches, into homes, into stadiums, into schools, into any type of meeting place to celebrate the resurrection of someone that we believe was God in, in man form. We believe this man, Jesus, was a man and God and that he died and that he rose from the dead. 2.2 billion people celebrated this. Now, we didn't just celebrate the fact. We weren't just joyous of the fact that he died and that he rose again. No, 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 there's something more there. There's something more there. And that more, I think, gets at ultimately what is going on in this passage. And it's the implications of that. What does it mean? 
unfortunately, that we celebrate only once a year, that Jesus, he died and he rose from the dead. And for us to do that, we've got to get at the narrative here. We've got to understand what's going on in Acts. We've got to understand what's going on in your life. We've got to understand what's going on in the Bible. Because, man, whether you're a Christian or not, right, I think we're all searching for, I mean, some of you would call it enlightenment, balance, peace, whatever it is. It boils down to this idea of life. We're searching for, for more. And I don't mean like immortality life, though obviously books and movies paint that in spades. But even, I mean, check it out, even when you look at like Lord of the Rings or uh, Death Becomes Her, this old classic comedy, many of you might not know what it is, but regardless, even when, when in the books and movies that we read, someone gets immortality, there's still an uneasiness about them. There's still a, it's still not right. We're, we're stuck in this. And I think finding what that is, is, is in the moment we bring up Jesus and how he died and he rose again is the Christian claim to that is, is a Christian claim to the answer. We believe that ultimately what you're searching for, what I'm searching for is found in Jesus. He is ultimately not just the life, but brings life. So when we view the resurrection, when we look at all this, I, I think it's um, worth pausing to see these two stories and break something down. So this is my goal here. I want to do some mental dominoes. Ready? Let's put on those theology thinking caps real quick. And uh, I'm going to ask you to turn to Mark chapter 1, okay? And you're not going to stay there. You're going go to go back and forth to a couple places. But I want to explain something that I, I really honestly think worth, is worth explaining. So if you can, go to Mark chapter 1. And if you're uh, not familiar with this, uh, two years ago, a little over two years ago, actually, um, is when Redemption Peoria planted. And from day one, we uh, started in the book of Mark. Now, if you don't know how church planting works, usually on your very first Sunday, a bunch of people come. You bring your family, friends, whatever. But then the second week, usually all the looky-loos are gone, and you have who is going to be the church or the congregation. And so we had like 260 people that first uh, Sunday, and then they were all gone. We had about 120, and we knew who was, you know, okay, cool. We knew the people in the lobby and all that. Well, that second week, the first time we were really together as a congregation was a passage that we saw in Mark chapter one, verses 14 and 15. And I want to read it because it is the premise. I think ultimately that undergirds our passage this morning. So we're going to get there. I just need some patience. So if you're already there, which hopefully you are, uh, Mark chapter one, let me read it to you. Verse 14. And then uh, more specifically verse 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. John being arrested is part of the context. Not important here, but uh, what we see is Jesus comes into Galilee. He's proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the first thing, and this is what I said over two years ago, the first thing that Mark records of Jesus audibly saying is the time is fulfilled. Now, there are two Greek words for time. There's chronos, where we get a word chronology from, or uh, something uh, chronologically happening, right? So it's 8, 8.15, 8.30, 8.45. That's chronos. But there's all, this other idea of kairos, this idea that it's not just um, 8, 8.15, 8.30, 8.45, but it's like a season. We would say right now it's LeBron's time in the NBA, or it's, or it's Curry's time in the NBA, or last year the greatest um, uh, Football player, human being, maybe uh, quarterback, Peyton Manning retired. And that was the greatest era of the quarterback that could ever walk. And no one will ever be able to compete with him and the, the records he broke like that. ever. That's what we mean like that. When we say this era or this time, this is the word it's used. It's not used chronologically. So Jesus comes on the scene and he says, the time, the era is fulfilled. I'm bringing something new. I'm bringing something different. The era that we experience, check it out, that you experience that I experience, the brokenness of the world is done. I'm here now. He goes, the time is fulfilled. So this era, whatever, whatever it is, the kingdom of God 
is at hand. Now, um, what, I, what I said is Jesus ultimately, in the book of Mark, in the Gospels, no matter where you find it, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God more than he talks about anything else. More than anything else. And so it's really important for us as Christians to know what the kingdom of God is. So, so hear me when I say this. The kingdom of God is the way things are supposed to be under whom they're supposed to be. And what Jesus is doing is he's proclaiming, I know you live in this kingdom, but my kingdom is here. I know what you're searching for, but it's time. Pause. Okay, I said theology thinking cap, so here we go. What Jesus is saying is not what people are hearing. In, in the, like, what people are hearing in that moment, and maybe you're not familiar with these texts, they're hearing Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 37. They're hearing, wait a minute, you're the guy? The guy Moses talked about. The kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. Okay, so, so the guy that David talked about, all the prophets were taught, you're that guy. You're the Messiah. So that means we're no longer going to be under subjugation. Now that means geographical conquest. That means you're going to make all things new. That's what they're hearing, but that's not what Jesus said. Now it's important that we know that. Pause on Mark 1. Go ahead and put your thumb in that, in that uh, part of the Bible. I want you to flip to the very beginning. You're going to go forward, but going backwards for us in the book of Acts, Acts 1. Okay? I promise. We're going to tie this together. You guys are going to be like, dang! Okay? Okay? Um, Acts chapter one. So what Jesus is proclaiming and what, what ultimately the Jews are hearing Acts chapter one, verses one through six. Uh, this is what it says. And I didn't, I wasn't here to preach this. I believe Seth preached this. So in the book, in the first book of Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do. I think that's beautifully said by Luke. He began to do it. He's still doing things, but he began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during the 40 days, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Jesus dies. He raises from the dead. He gets his disciples together and he's still talking about this kingdom. You guys, He's still talking about, I know that you think things are broken, but my kingdom's here. Easy spirit. Um, that, that, that the kingdom is here and, and things are going to be made right. That's what he continues to preach about. Okay. In continuing to preach about that, uh, he, uh, he goes on or they, they go on to, to ask this question. Check it out in verse four. And while staying with them, Jesus, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the, of the father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy spirit. Not many days from now, Seth broke that down. I'm not going to do that here though. I think is awesome. Listen to verse six, the question. So when they had come together, so now they've come together. Jesus has been talking about the kingdom. Here's the question. The disciples ask Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So they go, you've been talking about it. Is it now? And you know that time, you know what word they use? Kronos. They don't use Kairos. They use, is it now? Now that you've raised from the dead, are you going to make all things? Now is, is now the time? Okay, hold it there. Let's go back to Mark 1. I know, we're getting it. I love it. I love it. We're getting it in right now, okay? Um, Mark chapter 1. I want you to look at that, verse 15 again. And I want you to look at something. Look at the words, fulfilled and at hand. Okay? You're, you're, you're there, right? Fulfilled and at hand. Um, so this happened with our kids, and maybe it happened with your kids, or will happen with your kids. But when, when our kids were born, the doctor uh, 
pinched the foot or smacked the butt, whatever it is. The, the goal was the child wasn't crying, and so you pinch the foot, or essentially you bring pain upon this child, so that the child, and I don't know all the science behind it, my wife does, like there's some kind of chemical that holds the lungs together, but anyway, with a cry of, of that child, then breaks that apart, and then they begin to breathe. Essentially what the doctor is saying is, breathe, breathe. Now what's really difficult in English is when I say breathe, I could be going, hey, look at me, look at me. Just breathe. And you've done what I've said. Or I can go breathe. And I'm telling you to continually breathe. 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 Uh, breathe. Now, now, here's why this is important. I've talked about uh, many times with you guys in spades how Greek affords us the ability to communicate exactly what I'm saying where English doesn't. And when you see the words fulfilled and at hand, they're in what's called the present tense in Greek, meaning Jesus is going, I'm starting something, right? You don't pinch the foot and the baby goes, ah, okay, cool. They breathe. Now let's move on. No, you're hoping they continue to breathe. It means I'm telling you something that has ripples upon the initial reaction. That first thing that takes place, there's more to come beyond that. And in this moment, the verbs fulfilled And at hand is a declaration of Jesus going, I've come now, but we ain't done. But we ain't done. See, what I'm doing right here, the time is fulfilled. The era has started. Now we're in this season. But I'm telling you to continue to breathe. Continue to go. No, 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 no. Listen, it's not just like you fell asleep and you wake up and the kingdom of Israel is restored. You're missing it, man. You're missing it. That's not how my kingdom works. I'm telling you, my kingdom will continue to grow. My, continue, my kingdom will continue to be. It will be the answer to all your groans in life. Balance, chi, enlightenment. It's what you're looking for. It's the way that things are supposed to be. But what we're going to find is this kingdom, like a mustard seed, we'll say. Let's say I made that up. Like a mustard seed is going to grow. And it's going to grow and it's going to get bigger. And it's going to get bigger and it's going to get so big that all the birds of the field will find its rest on this tree. What Jesus is telling us in this moment is that the kingdom of God is going to grow amidst the darkness. Not just immediately replace it. We live in a time now as Christians that we are citizens of that kingdom. Now listen to Jesus' response to their questions. Flip it back. Acts 1. We're getting our Bible in. Okay. Verse 7, he said this to them after they asked the question, Lord, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? It is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. Can we just stop and like just go like that needs to be on more coffee mugs? Straight up. Like that is, like that should be a life verse. It's not for you to know, man. God's sovereign hand is over the times and seasons. It's not for you to know. So take that for whatever it's worth. Feel convicted about it. Um, to know the authority. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So it's not about what you think times and seasons are. But you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria until the ends of the earth. Witnesses to what? What has he been talking about? The kingdom. So this, in this moment, Jesus is going, you, you. We've been together. I've been trying to lay this out to you. So, so let me try explaining it again. It's, I'm not worried about the time and the season. You're missing it. That's what the Father has fixed. It's done, okay? That's not your job. What your job is to do is to take what I've been telling you to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. 
that the kingdom of God may be heard, that my voice may be proclaimed. That's your job. This is why Acts is so money. This is why Acts is pivotal, pivotal, pivotal to our faith. Because for the first time and only time, we get this record through the power of the Holy Spirit of what happens with the kingdom that Jesus started without Jesus physically being there. It's his resurrection that's talked about. It's his spirit that moves. He appears in the clouds. But now we see firsthand that the kingdom of God is really on the move. And so the question I asked in the beginning is why? Why do we have the story of Aeneas and Tabitha? Don't you get it? Luke is trying to put in front of you and I this excitement to go, he's still moving. He's still moving. Listen, and it also doesn't end in chapter 28 of Acts. Look at me. He's still moving. Do you remember who and, and where you were? When he moved on you, you you were never the read the Bible guy. You were make fun of the read the Bible guy. What are you doing here? He's still moving. And let's not, listen, I'm not saying roll up into a funeral, right? And be like, like, that's not, you know what I'm saying? Like, kumai, rise, okay? That's, I think we're missing the point. I think we're missing the point of what's going on here. Luke's goal isn't just to, to accentuate the idea that Tabitha was, was raised from the dead, though this is a monumentous occasion to see what's going on, but, but, but it's deeper, isn't it? It's that, that it happens by the Spirit of God doing something through a common man, Peter. He's still moving. He's still alive. And listen, man, I, it's a lot easier for me because I, I was saved in the charismatic movement. I got no problem people are raising from the dead. Now, I know some of you got issues with that. <clears throat> okay, this dude will do what he wants when he wants, okay? So I have no problem setting that. But, but I, I think even beyond that, I think there's a recognition. Ask Africa right now. Oh, no, no, Jesus is moving. Man, ask South Asia. Jesus is moving. He's moving. He doesn't mess around. He's moving. Ask South America right now. Jesus is moving. And hear me. Everywhere he goes, he brings life. Everywhere he goes, he brings life. Now, um, I wanted to prove this because I didn't want to just, like, throw this out there. And and I think the text is telling us this message. And it may feel like I'm trying to make something happen, but I I don't think that's true. And so I want to revisit the resurrection of Tabitha here. Okay. So go back to Acts chapter nine. Um, We're going to, we're going to look at this account again. I'm going to read it to you. And um, there's a guy named Joel Green, who's a foremost scholar on Lucian uh, writing, who understands all the, the, uh, the writings of Luke. And he brings up this crazy observation that we see in this account uh, that I want to put in front of you that is super similar to, to, to what Jesus experiences or what Jesus performs. And if you've read the Bible long enough, when you've heard that story of Tabitha, it sounds eerily similar to something. And I don't think that's an accident. Okay? So l- l- let me read to you again uh, this story. So uh, there in Joppa, a disciple named Tabitha, which, uh, which translated means Dorcas, she fell, or she was full of good works and acts of charity. In, the, in those days, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since uh, Lydia was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and they arrived. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows... 
Okay, they stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was still with him. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, Kumai, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. Okay, there's an account. You don't have to turn there, but I want to read something to you. It's in Mark chapter 5, okay? Mark chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. There's a story of a man named Jarius. He's a, he's a, a lead figure in, in, in uh, the military armies. And his daughter, his 12-year-old daughter, dies. So he goes to find Jesus. And upon finding Jesus, uh, they, they arrive to his house. They come to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in, in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, uh, Talitha Kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, rise or little girl, rise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years old and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Okay. I read these two accounts because I think Luke is trying to point us to these things. So let me give you something Joel Green gives us. Um, you can put them all up there if you want, John, all these bullet points, okay? I want to just look at something that, that's taking place within Peter and Jesus healing these, per, these, uh, uh, these uh, two individuals. So first, there's the use of the messengers. So uh, Jarius, who goes and, and uh, uh, gets Jesus, but then... We didn't read it, but actually two of his servants come and meet them and say, don't worry about it. But there's these messengers that go out. Somebody goes and gets Jesus or Peter. There's the milling about of crying bystanders. So there's these people crying. There's the excluding of outsiders from the room. There's a call to the dead person to rise. And there's the taking of the revived individual by the hand. Okay. Now, all these things may seem kind of, okay, that's great. But I, but I think they're, they're connected. I, I think what Luke is trying to do is point us to something. Peter did it just like Jesus did it. But what's crazy is beyond the bullets is actually the heading in orange that you see up there. Because what we find is as Peter walks into the room, he says, Tabitha, Kumai. And that's why I've been saying this Hebrew Kumai. It's, it's this idea of arise or wake up, get up, arise up. Is the same exact language minus a B. Minus a B. With Tabitha and Talitha. Kumai, little girl, rise. This is a, you see? You see it? You see it, right? This is Luke going, you see this, right? I'm not, the, I'm not crazy, right? Peter did it just like, so maybe I am crazy. So, so listen, listen to Richard Longenecker. He says this, the most striking similarity of these accounts is how both Jesus and Peter issued a command for the dead person to rise, which is a short sentence in each case. Jesus had said, Talitha, get up. Where Peter cried, Tabitha, Get up. As, had, as he had seen Jesus do in the case of Jairus' daughter, he spoke the word, which is an Aramaic uh, f- uh, form of Tabitha, Kumai, Tabitha, get up. Would have been different in only one letter from Jesus' command, Talitha, Kumai, little girl, get up. So let's go back to the question. Why is this here? I think ultimately Luke wants us to hear with a megaphone. He's still moving. He's still moving. Check it out. Like, look, I, you, you can't, you can't, you got to see the similarities here. I mean, it's, you can almost replace names and go Peter G like you get, this is real. It's here. And I think this is important for two reasons, two very important reasons. Um, first, 
whether you're Christian or maybe you're not Christian, um, you probably read these accounts and go like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe that's the real deal. I, I have no idea. And I'm telling you what the writer of Acts is trying to put in front of you is, no, he moves, man. And I know you feel lost. And I know you feel like there's no hope. But his kingdom is growing. His kingdom is the way that it's supposed to be. I know that you are frustrated with the times and seasons he's done in your own life. But I'm telling you, he brings life. He's on the move. It didn't just end in Jesus's death and resurrection. He's still on the move, which for those of you who consider yourself Christian, hear me when I say this, you're on the move. If John 1 is right, that Jesus is still very active and still very alive and still very well, he is still moving on people, hear me, he's doing it through you. He's doing it through you. Wherever you are, the kingdom is. Wherever you are, life is to be. And again, I'm not telling you to roll into funeral homes and raise people from the dead. No, check it. Listen, in your job, in your relationships, whatever it is, you are a citizen of the kingdom. You are the life giver. This is good news to read an account that Jesus really is powerful. He really is still moving. It's not done. It doesn't end on Peter. It doesn't end on Jesus. It's still happening. And, and, and man, like I want to continue to press like the places that I've been, I've been on most continents in the world. And I'm telling you in many third world countries that I've been in, it is a lot easier for them to believe that this literally still does happen. Like I'm super hesitant to explain when people ask me, how do you feel about the spiritual gifts and all that? Because like the things that I've seen sometimes, like I doubt, I go, I don't know what that was, but that was something crazy. I have no idea how that happened, but that was something crazy. But, but even then, I think I'm missing the point. Because when I see that, listen, that's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God. It's alive, it's well, and it's happening. And though you have doubts, it's still alive, it's still well, and it's still happening. Though you have frustrations about how it's playing out, it's still alive, it's still well, you get it. So if nothing else, my prayer for us is that we would be encouraged that we'd read the story of Aeneas and Tabitha and we would go (laughs) like the spirit uh, is still moving. The spirit of God is still going and that's still within us. That same spirit is still within us. May we be people of life. May we be people of the resurrection. Let me read to you Philippians uh, three and then I will close for us. Um, last week, intentionally, I read this first part of uh, Philippians 3. Now we're going to read the back half. In the first part that we read, it was a story of Paul, essentially not the story, the declaration of Paul going, hey, um, I'm a Jew of Jew, a righteousness of righteousness. I've got it all together, but I'm telling you, I counted all as loss to be found in Jesus. Um, That's what he says in verse 7, and then we're going to get to to, uh, how this ties in, and I'll pray for us. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. We read all this last week, right? For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on On faith. You ready? Verse 10. Check it out. That I may know. He does all this. He he says, I don't care about my own accolades. I trust in Jesus. All for this purpose. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. 
Paul's declaration in this moment is going, I want to know him, but I want to know and feel the power of the resurrection. He really did raise from the dead. And if he really did, he really is bringing life wherever he goes. And if he's really bringing life wherever he goes, he's doing it through me. Now, God has crazy accounts where he doesn't do it through human means. But man, in this moment, I think we're reminded, no, wherever you are, the church is. Wherever you are, life is. This is our call as Christians. May we be encouraged that God is still moving, even through Peter, like Tabitha and Aeneas. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thanks so much for your word. I pray, God, that uh, we would be encouraged, even this morning. Uh, this is a little more theological than we, we normally get, uh, but I pray that you'd be honored by it. Uh, we don't want to do any kind of origami with your word. So uh, I pray that we would see this text in light of the narrative of Acts, that you are still alive and moving, that this is not the Acts of the Apostles, but this is the Acts of the Spirit of God. And that we would be encouraged to know that you are still on the move. You're still on the move. You're still on the move. You're working in us. You're working through us. You're working through our vocations, through our marriage relationships, through the dating relationships, through parenting relationships. Even even within roommates, I, I pray, God, that you would remind us that wherever we are, being citizens of the kingdom of God, which is the declaration that life has beaten death, that the kingdom of God is alive and well in the resurrection, that we are that people, that we would know you and the power of your resurrection. Thank you so much for that. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.